0: hello everybody and welcome to this episode of haunted histories and that's my dog in the background haunted histories with yours truly penny griffiths morgan now last time i spoke to you i was talking about the very mysterious house of wills over there in cleveland ohio i do apologize for the dog you come don't ever work with animals or children i tell you um but for this episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different and I've pulled in. Well, she is a historian, but she also bakes the most delicious cakes. But I'll be getting onto that one in a second. Um. So what have I got going on? Well, I've just recently filmed or I will be filming another episode of Help My House Is Haunted. So for the next series that's coming out. So hopefully you guys will enjoy my little history slot on that. Um. And also, don't forget, I'm going to be appearing at two paracons this year in september at the beginning of september so the first to the third you've got the Parameet down there in brown Sover hall and for those of you who don't realize that's actually where frank whittle used to live the inventor of the jet engine and for an aviation gink like me i am like a pig in the proverbial um and also a couple of weeks later I'm going to be back at the Festival of the Unexplained. Um I am going to be back at the Festival of the Unexplained over there at Bosworth Hall. Yes, only 4 or 5 miles up the road from the site where Richard III quite honestly was murdered. The Battle of Bosworth Field and I will be back there and there are tickets available for both events still and if anything else comes up obviously you'll be the first to know. Right. On that note, my guest tonight or today, whenever you're listening to this, is um, someone I met a couple of years ago and we kept in touch because she is amazing and intelligent and beautiful and I lust after her wardrobe. She has the most amazing style of dress. It is the one, the only,
1: Mrs. Charlotte White. Hi, Penny. Hello, my darling. How are you? (laughs) I'm great what an introduction you like that I, I I feel like I mean I can't live up to it today because I'm in my running gear I am <laughs> going for a run later everybody you got to hold me to it but to you've still it. got red lips yeah. even in your running I, gear right well that's just for you that's, oh, you know, bless that's, you. that's just wow. me making an effort wow. <laughs> oh no to the listeners your dress
0: sense I think I, would t- I told um my eldest son I said oh I'm interviewing Charlie today and he goes which one's Charlie I said you met her she came around the house I said, oh the one in the Russian hat yeah that's her yeah that's
1: you she, the <laughs> Russian hat the amazing fur hat See, I, I warn people all the time Penny I say don't let your children watch old movies because it, they take it in like a sponge and they end up like me I just want to dress like I'm in an old movie all the time
0: but it looks amazing on you you just look so thank you I I I love it you post your outfits on Instagram quite regularly and some of I I think all of them I just look at and go oh that is so good and (laughs) and the husband goes why can't you dress like that and I said because I don't look like Charlie and (laughs) that much color would scare me (laughs) I
1: mean well yes you, you know we both do lean towards the natural gothic um, no. look, but you're not dissimilar. We're both we're both hot blondes. What are you gonna do? Well, there is that. There is that. But thank you very Plus, much. Plus, you that have one. to be careful. You have to be careful because they say that you know, if the worst happens and you got hit by a bus, that's your ghost outfit. True. Forever. True. So,
0: but I'm normally all in black. Overdressed. I'm normally all in there black, and it's one of the the, the the jokes that ghost hunters only ever dress in black. Now, somebody <laughs> asked me once, well, why do ghost hunters only dress in black? And I said, it's because most of us, that's all we own. We don't go out and buy specifically <laughs> for ghost hunts. It's what we own. I, I'd actually have to go out and specifically buy non-black stuff. So I know I was always told, as long as your underwear is clean, it's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Lots of ghosts with very clean underwear. That's oh, good to know. <laughs>
0: No, you and I you and I met through I think it was through Alex Churchill, wasn't it, that we first It
1: was. It was I mean, so many of us in, in this community have Alex Churchill in common. Um, she's one of those incredible women who chucks the ladder down to others. Yeah. And the the number of people who've been involved with History Hack who've gone on to do just amazing things. There's there's so many. So yeah big up to Alex and that's where we met because you were a guest on History Hack so I feel a little bit like the the tables have turned here.
0: (laughs) Yeah I get to interview you gamekeeper turned poacher, vice versa. (laughs) Yeah no I agree with you about Alex she's one of those she is an incredibly giving person in that I've never once had her say to me well I found that out therefore you can go and find it out. If I've ever asked her something she'll tell me not only the answer, but where she found it, how to find it, how to dig even deeper if I needed to. Um, And she's never once laughed at me for the the paranormal side, which some historians do. So I, 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 and I adore her sense of humour, her sarcasm. It gets me. I can, you know, I
1: can be as sarcastic as I like back and know that I won't offend her. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny you say about historians, being snippy about the paranormal side. Because I think if 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 everyone was honest, anyone with any love of history, and if you've dedicated your life to the study of it and you're a historian, the chance to actually have a conversation with someone who's been long dead oh my god I'm I'm so open to all things paranormal because I tell you if Charles II wanted to come and actually tell me some stuff and be like no, no no it wasn't like that this is what happened this is what I meant when I said that yeah. this is what I was intending to do when this happened it would just be it would be incredible it's yeah. and it's so frustrating that you that we can't have that I'm jealous of all of you know all of the people who study periods of history that you know frankly i've got gloves old that you know people who who study the second world war and, and the first world war because they can actually see the people move they can hear their voices we've got recordings we've got video evidence all this amazing stuff that that they take for granted that if if i could just have charles walk in the room right now just so i could see how he walked i would be grateful so i think the the, we can't be snippy about the paranormal
0: uh, well I the thing is I mean this it's is one of jealous. the it's one of the reasons I started haunted histories one of them one of them was because I was getting so fed up with history being made up by play by paranormal investigators saying this is yeah. the, all these people were murdered here and it's like when oh in 1876 or whatever and I'm like 1876 it would be recorded if there were deaths there there's nothing and 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 that's there's a few of us who do that in this in the paranormal world that was part of the reason I set up haunted histories to sort of dispel some of those and sort of say well look historic the history the documented history yeah says otherwise but also because I wanted to prove to people who were paranormal people that history isn't all mwah, mwah. it's actually going to be quite useful <laughs> to understand some of it yeah but also for historians to realize that not everyone who's into the paranormal is completely batshit crazy
1: well, I think we all we all are a little bit on the sides of this. But but what I mean, more is there
0: is a science to it. There is there is sort of we do. I mean, most of us will debunk more than we believe is paranormal. But then it's also explained to people what does the paranormal mean? It doesn't mean ghost. It means something aside of normal, something that is not normal. Um, And so many things happen that if you think about it, even just 100 years ago, stuff that we would yeah. now understand completely why it's nature and why it happens and everything else. They would have thought it was paranormal. So yeah. it's, it's, I think once I can go and get that across, I can normally sort of have an intel- intelligent conversation. And I find as well, cause I can talk history. I sometimes yeah. do get a little bit more respect off the historians because I can talk about it on their level. Yeah. Especially if it's one of the eras that I do sort of specialize in Um, But I I do think, I think it's quite naive to assume that there's the paranormal is just hoo-ha. It's because like you say, if even if one of Charles II's, even if, I don't know, um, Barbara Villiers walked in and you say, how come you never married Charles? How come you never demanded he divorce Catherine? Braganza Bagan- oh, Bagan- was it? Catherine of Braganza was that the name of his wife? Catherine of Braganza yeah. was his wife. Yeah. I mean, you know
1: Barbara
0: and I. I mean, how oh. how amazing would that be to have five minutes with say someone like Barbara Villiers,
1: or, oh,
0: or one of Charles's we'd... advisors, and sort of say, look, yeah.
1: I mean, the nice thing is, I mean, it's it's this is the constant source of frustration with his advisors um, and with a lot of the men who are around. We actually have their opinion of what happens. And, of course, we we take things with a pinch of salt because people write down what they always have. They have a perspective Mm -hmm. when when they are writing. Everybody has a bias. Everybody has an opinion, and that's what's written. With someone like Barbara, silence, because the women around Charles are silent. We have nothing. We don't have – we've got no – we've got hardly any letters. We've got no diaries. We've got Mm – nothing like that um and barbara in particular i adore this so much historians have used letters that she wrote um that that we have as a way of sort of determining her character and the letters they use were ones that she wrote at the age of 17 to the earl of chesterfield who was uh, who basically he was basically the only eligible bachelor in interregnum London he still had his title he still had a shit ton of money and he's young and he's hot everybody wants to marry the Earl of Chesterfield and become his countess so we've got a couple of letters that she wrote to him but do we what we actually have are her letters that she wrote to him that he has written from memory in a book so we don't have her letters age 17 to a boy that she fancies we have the boy's recollection of what she wrote to him when she was 17 years old and if i am remembered in 400 years time not by i mean it'd be bad enough if i got judged by what i wrote to boys when i was 17 in 400 years time because i'm not going to come across well but it would be even worse if those were written by the boy's recollection of what i said to him and this is how she's judged that is 400 years later it's like barbara was an incredibly powerful woman mm. she amassed a vast fortune and a lot of power and a lot of influence by being in the king's bed but what we're doing when we're looking at the sources that we have on her is we're trying to write a straight biography of hillary clinton in 400 years time using only facebook mm. that's the analogy i like so that. I like because because they're silent, this is the problem. Because because the women are silent mm. um, in the archives and stuff, and we only have these things to go. A lot of stuff Peeps wrote about her as well is really funny because he's conflicted because he doesn't approve of her but he fancies her. Um, so she she comes across as a as a sort of beautiful tempest. Yeah. In Peeps, but, but we never get the real woman.
0: That's really. I, I've never thought of it like that. I mean. You know, I was I was going to say something like when I was at the archives recently, I was looking at some. I, 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 what you were saying about documentation. It's one of the reasons why when I was trying to look up some 15th, 16th century stuff for the book I've just written, I was like, I'm never doing this era again. This is just, it makes my eyes <laughs> hurt trying to read it, let alone trying to find, like, everything's like 200 years old and written in a chronicle 200 years later and there's no primary, yeah. real, true primary stuff. And I think I, I was reading some... Um, uh the, the naval um stuff because it was to do with the yeah. forest and them um, commissioning wood to be cut down well the forest of waltham for, for boats and stuff yeah. and I realized that the letter I was reading was actually sent to Samuel Pepys, and I was a yes. bit kind of like oh my <laughs> god Sammy San-, because I completely forgotten he 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 was admiralty and yeah and then I'm just like I'm this Samuel Pepys touched this letter. And and looking at this letter thinking, oh my and that's that's the extent of my sort of seventeenth century sort of embracing and and then sort of looking right, when was this written? 1667. Oh it Charles II. Oh. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's and it's 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 that that's but if you know if you suddenly discovered a letter that was written by Barbara Villiers, I mean what I know we didn't discuss this beforehand, but would she have been
1: literate? Would she have been literate? She she was, and what's wonderful about it is because the the seventeenth century are very um, let's say they're fluid with things like punctuation and spelling, which is a constant source of frustration. Anyone trying to look up anybody in archives because you need to think of every possible way of misspelling yep. their name. Yep. Um, but we we don't have many things. But what we what we have of her, one thing I really really love. Is we've got a really scratchy letter that she's written to Thomas Clifford who is the um he's the treasurer at the time he's the he's in he's the money guy and she's written him this really scratchy letter which doesn't necessarily um indicate that she was she had poor penmanship but that she was lazy and she wanted to get this letter out to him quickly and she basically says something along the lines of look I wouldn't have spent all this money on my house If I hadn't thought that my money would be forthcoming from you, which is basically give me my money now, I need money to pay my bills. Um, And this is this is very much Barbara. But one of the things that um, that is mentioned that I adore is that she misspells the word certainly, and it's spelt certainly. Okay. And it's suggested that with a lot of the misspellings, you can actually hear people's accents. Yes. So maybe she would have said certainly. Mm-hmm. instead of certainly which again we don't know but I love that as a as a way of knowing her and I've only got this letter of hers because it was auctioned off in a in a huge job lot of Clifford's letters at Sotheby's and they printed them all in a catalogue and I, I bought the catalogue off eBay so I've, got, so I've got a few of her just that one just where she she's getting very upset she had she'd had a very large um very elaborate fountain installed in her home, um, Cleveland House, named after her when she was Duchess of Cleveland. And on the hour it played the Lily Bolero, which I just love. I love knowing that about her. Well, I mean, people might have guessed. We're talking Charles II on
0: this podcast, various things about Charles II. And one of the reasons I chose Charles II to talk to, well, Charlie about the (laughs) various is... I mentioned earlier that my friend Charlie here is not only a historian, she's also a very, very talented baker. And her business Mm -hmm. is called
1: Restoration
0: Cake. (laughs) She also, because this is audio, you won't see it. She also has a Charles II tattoo. That's how much she, well, loves, is that the wrong word? Um I Charles the yeah, second. We, we, we end up talking either Richard the third or Charles the second normally when we start guessing, <laughs> So I thought, well, Richard the Third, a lot of people talk about. And to be honest, I couldn't follow like talking to Matt Lewis about Richard the third. I don't think you know that he is would, the guy. That that would be like, I don't know, having John Waite cook you a meal and then going to McDonald's for afters. I mean, you know, <laughs> okay. you know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, so you've got a business called restoration cake so you've always had a bit of a thing about charles ii now be honest with me was it a bit of a crush
1: it's much more it's much more deep and awful than that so okay <laughs> okay Pages got in, destroyed. A in a secret suppose. okay i'm i'm lying on a couch right now this is this is therapy for me <laughs> so i grew up <laughs> i grew up in the 80s and the early 90s and my dad owned a music shop and it was it was full of smoke I just remember it being a, it was a small room full of cigarette smoke and full of musicians and all the musicians would be wearing very tight jeans leather jackets and all had long flowing hair oh it sounds like my era <laughs> see all I can imagine is that maybe my love of the cavalier gentleman um and and of Charles II may may stem from all the guys who hung around with my dad so it's probably it's probably a real paging Dr Freud but it it honestly and I've I've spoken about this before it really started for me at school when we did Tudors and Stuarts and we were told that charles the first put on an extra vest on the day that he was executed so he wouldn't shiver and look scared i had um, i'm a hyper empathizer what am i going to do it really it really touched me i must have been about nine i wasn't very old at all and it just stuck with me and i always thought that was a terrible thing went to went to college did my history a level and that was in the civil war found it fascinating and just kind of wanted to know what happened next and started reading around, you know, Civil War, the Interregnum. I've always loved the story of Charles II in Exile, which I know we're going to talk about. And I just kind of fell in love with the man. He's an enigma. He's he's such a wonderful um, vessel for sort of the time in which he's written about. He's been sort of variously held up and admired and 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 looked at with side eye for being just a terrible, terrible man. Um, throughout history and i find him incredible i think he was exactly the man we needed at that time Mm -hmm. because he was malleable and he was um he was easygoing so he was the perfect heal and settle uh monarch okay um i love that he gets called the merry monarch and that people think that that's a term of Endearment because Would you like to hear the poem from which that term comes? Oh yes, would you like to hear it. It's only it, this is a this is the end of a longer poem. Yeah, but, was, um, yeah. <laughs> content content warning. It was written by uh, John Wilmot, second Earl of Rochester. Right. He is a little bit of a filth merchant, and I love him. <laughs> but the the term comes from this. Restless, he rolls about from whore to whore. A merry monarch, scandalous and poor so okay
0: well we're gonna gonna, we are gonna get on to his um as i think one of his doctors said his habit of rutting Um, (laughs) in a minute um Mm. but that's i mean it's yeah it's interesting what influences you as a kid that then you can take further as an adult and it, it kind of becomes you i mean mine has always been workhouses have fascinated me since i was sort of little and now i've sort of learned uh, victoria well they say victorian but it actually came in before victoria but anyway by the that's i told i got told for splitting hairs when i said that to someone recently (laughs) um but i've always been fascinated by those since i was a small child and uh, and unfortunately i never got to study them at school which is probably why i flunked my history a level because it was so boring (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I would have been quite interested in the Civil War, but it was more yeah. rote learning because I'm sort of 10 years older than you. It was rote learning of dates and what happened on this date. Yeah. It was a, There was no, it, it didn't come to life, if that makes sense. Whereas when I try and talk history to people, I try and bring it to life for them so they can empathise and be in that person's shoes. So yeah. if I was to, talking about Charles I to the kids, I would sort of show them that window that he's meant to have stepped yeah. out of and said, "Now, you know, can you imagine how you would have felt knowing you're about to be executed? Scared? Well, yes. He didn't want to appear scared. He wanted to appear brave. So, so that he didn't shiver, he wore an extra vest. Like he put an extra coat on so that he would look. Yeah. And, and that's how I'd explain it to them. So, but unfortunately, that's not how history was taught to me at second at A level. Anyway, it wasn't so sort of O level standard. But yeah, I just think it's amazing how things can influence us now obviously charles ii son of charles the first um i was always led to believe that charles the first and again this isn't my period of expertise at all one of the reasons he was executed is because he was he was seen to be too much too uh too frivolous too much of a party boy um he he wanted to control things too much and he didn't really have the mental acumen to do so um yeah and then here comes charles II, who's nicknamed the merry monarch although not necessarily yeah. for the right reason <laughs> who you know when you look at his whole appearance it's very grand like you say it's the long flowing curls that the amazing outfits and we'll talk yeah. about him being a ladies man in a minute but i've always been told i've always been led to believe charles first bad Charles II, good. Okay. How accurate is
1: that? Well, I mean, look, we're, we're talking about real people here and mm-hmm. no, one, no one is entirely one thing uh, at all. Um, Charles I, a lot of his personality led to his downfall. If he'd have been more willing to negotiate with his parliament, after after the end of the first civil war so after yeah. you know the massive defeat at naysby um and you know, the that eventual sort of clicking down of events that that leads to the obliteration of the the royalist um cause if he'd have been more willing to negotiate give up some powers yeah. um in favor of his parliament then he wouldn't have lost his head i don't think that anybody thought at that point that the 1645 they were going to execute the king four years later nobody thinks that that's going to happen no. um so he charles I first is very he's very much a believer in his divine right to rule mm. and he doesn't think that he should have to give away any part of himself whatsoever and he ends up giving away a very big part of himself his head. Mm. Uh, So Charles II, his son is, it's wonderful. When they've got Charles I coming out to be executed that morning, Parliament scrabbles together and think, we've got a bit of a problem here because what's the first thing that happens when a king dies? People say, the king is dead, long live the king, and a new king is proclaimed. So they dismantle the whole system of monarchy. It's obliterated um, in paper so that when King Charles I is executed, that his son will not be proclaimed King Charles II. But nobody sends this memo to Scotland. Scotland's running a few days behind on the news because, you know, no social media, it's kind of crap. Um, They don't get the news that the king has been executed until a few days later, and they are absolutely furious. They've not been consulted on this. This is not what they wanted. They immediately proclaim King Charles II King of Scotland. Mm-hmm. This will become a problem for Charles later, um, because England and Scotland, it's always a tricky relationship um, at that time, um, very much so. So Charles II is is removed and he he goes, he's off in exile, he bums around Europe for you know, essentially, it's eleven years. He's he's yeah. bouncing around from place to place because, as the um, as the Commonwealth becomes the protectorate later, you know, and you've got Oliver Cromwell in charge. England's becoming quite a powerful country. The navy's doing really well. They're making alliances here and there, fighting wars here and there. People are having to make um, they're having to make deals with England, and. Yeah. Part of those deals include, please don't harbour a fugitive called Charles Stewart. So he's, again, bouncing around. He goes from France. He um, goes to uh, the Spanish Netherlands, which is uh, now Belgium. Um, He goes to The Hague. He he Mm. goes to Bruges and has a little bit of a party there. um, And he's bouncing around. Um, But in terms of him being being sort of more good than his father, when he does eventually back to the throne. he comes back to a parliament that has forever changed Mm. it's been it's been running its own thing for a long time and when they finally decide in 1660 that they're going to bring back charles ii this is after the death of oliver cromwell and the, mm. the protector eats itself after him he was very much the glue that was holding everything together Couldn't well part of it as well, wasn't it. it
0: the whole point of getting rid of a, a hereditary monarchy was so that you could decide who was going to be r- running things <laughs> and with cromwell his son richard takes over and it, it's like a question yeah. of, hang on isn't this just having a monarch
1: except they've not got any royal heritage what's yeah. and the richard wasn't his father at the end of the day was he and that was a that was a problem for the army. And the army um, were not, uh, he, he didn't have control of the army, mm-hmm. Richard Cromwell, they loved Oliver. He'd been, he was one of them. He was their general mm-hmm. and he was, he could at least be seen to be acting for them. Um, when Richard Cromwell takes over the army, want him very much to do what they want to do, perhaps more than his father would. And this is the problem with the protectorate. And you have, two factions you've Mm. got sort of a more realistic faction of saying okay that we fought this war now we have to govern this is this is a tricky thing and this involves compromise and then you've got the other side of the coin which tends to be um within the army which is more extreme um often more religious uh perspective which says no this is what we fought for this is what we died for these are our ideals these this is what what will happen yeah and they never quite managed to resolve that. In in the 11 years they had, they couldn't resolve that tension. And Oliver was the only person holding it all together. Once he's gone, the two factions start fighting and it eats itself. I, I genuinely think that's the best way of describing it. It eats itself, it falls apart. You end up with a Christmas period of absolute anarchy where you've got effectively no parliament whatsoever because army have chased them out. And there's there's rioting in the streets of London. It's really bad. And that only then changes when a a parliamentarian general by the name of General Monk comes down from Scotland and he says, look, okay, we're going to sort things out. And he puts um, a parliament back in, who are known as the Rump, which we love that name. He he puts them back in and effectively they then vote to restore the monarchy because they figure this is the only thing that's going to stop this absolute... Shit show of, <laughs> <laughs> of factions fighting each other they, they need someone they need a figure because they've lost Cromwell and you yeah. know of all that I'm not not a fan but of all the things I can say for him he was a fantastic figurehead for mm. people to rally around and to give their loyalty to and that's what was needed they needed a king <laughs> and yeah. it turned out that the only person they could agree on who should be king was the king so they restore the monarchy and they're going they, they go to Charles and they say, Look, okay, this this is the deal. We want you to come back. Um, we yeah. want you to come back as king. Um you you will be reigning in your own right. Uh we'd very much like you not to take revenge on everybody who's ever fought against you and your family and killed your yeah. dad. And he says, Okay, well, I will forgive everybody except the people who signed my father's death warrant. Who committed no regicide. regicide regicide, regicide, mm-hmm. yeah. Reg I've I think Reg. Um, <laughs> but that's when he comes back. The parliament are clever because they don't restore all of the rights of the monarch. He still can't levy his own taxes without the right, without a dissent the dissent of parliament without that being voted. They still, they, they've still got rid of the Star Chamber, which was another higher sort of part of the court. Um, he can't uh, raise an army. So he's, more limited than any monarch before him ever was and because he was malleable, because he was easy go that worked and because of that we still have because of that we still have a monarchy today which I think that if if we hadn't had Charles II if we'd have perhaps gone instead to his brother James who was much more absolute much more like his father much more rigid and unmovable I think it it may not have washed
0: well, James was also—he was uh, a Catholic, wasn't he? Wasn't he Catholic?
1: James was a James was a Catholic. Yeah. Charles. No, I know, I'm going Catholic. to come on to Charles. the Catholic yeah. to Charles. I'm,
0: but I'll the difference.
1: To... Yeah, the difference between them is is that James just would not hide it. I mean, for years before he came out effectively as a Catholic, and before people knew that, oh my goodness, the heir to the throne is death catholic. he had priests going in and out of his his um apartments and stuff everybody knew mm. that james was a catholic and he would he would go to anglican services only very grudgingly or and then there'd be times he wouldn't turn up at all and every everybody knew it was the worst kept secret mm. at court um but when it, he comes out in 1674 i think with the with the test act where he's effectively forced to reveal that he's Catholic. But he didn't have to. He could have just, again, it's this need, it's him being unmovable and him being, perhaps we could admire it. Perhaps we could admire his sense of conviction. I think Charles gets a lot of stick for being faithless and for being, you know, he'll say one thing to one person and say one thing to another person. That's what I
0: was going to mention because there was, I mean, he's governing.
1: yeah, his their mum was Catholic.
0: Henrietta M- M- Maria was Catholic. Yeah, and then you know Charles gets ripped away from it all at sixteen. Um, so he's going to be very oh, he's young. younger. Was he younger than that? I thought he was, or was. he fourteen when he was ripped away? But he's so he, 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 he's at that age where he can be manipulated yeah. by his mum. So if his if he oh, God. his mum, <laughs> you know, Catholic terminology, that's what he's going to hear. Um, he marries. When he he got married, now one of the things about Charles that I I was quite kind of shocked by, not shocked in a kind of oh how dare way, well, but surprised, I didn't <laughs> think the number was quite this high, was how many affairs he had or how many mistresses he had. Yes. because he married a lady by the name of Catherine of Braganza, Catholic. Yeah, she was a Catholic. Yeah. Portuguese was she Portuguese Portuguese, yeah. oh, I yeah, she it. Portuguese I'm i exactly. not even looking at my notes and I remembered it I'm quite proud of myself no you're doing it. great <laughs> he marries Catherine of Braganza um it's kind of yeah. an arranged marriage and everything else um unfortunately she has repeat miscarriages stillbirths she can't uh, have a child to term in the meantime he's had he's got five kids with Barbara Villiers. Who we mentioned earlier? Yeah. He's had is it two with Nell Gwyn? I think it, yeah. they they reckon there's no thirteen, at least thirteen illegitimate children that he actually. But the thing is with him that I found almost it's either bragging at oh look how fertile I am, or it's actually being a nice guy. He 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 the opposite of disown them, He 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 acknowledged all of these illegitimate children, gave them titles, gave them. Functions to kind of it's almost like set them up in life, which I actually think is quite. You know, he never once seemed to. I know there's a couple. It was like where they weren't they his because there's something else I read is a lot of the mistresses they were passed around. I mean, you mentioned Barbara (laughs) Villiers and Sam uh, Peeps actually fancying Barbara Villiers. I did read a few accounts of uh, certain mistresses you know that they 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 would accommodate whoever wanted to be accommodated at the time and I am not judging if that's what they want to do um right yeah all for it you know um so there was a couple I think who they weren't sure if it was Charles's kid or not but the one they were the the fact that he acknowledged all these children and gave them titles and therefore property and acknowledgement and uh, yeah I think that's a positive thing Whereas I suppose some people might think he should have pretended they didn't exist.
1: I think he was, I think he, for, for all of his philandering, um, I actually think he was a really good dad. Um, and I'll, look, I'll back this up. I'll back this up. So when, when Catherine of Braganza comes over and, and they get married, he's just elevated his eldest illegitimate son, mm-hmm. James. Um, he was known as James Crofts at the time. But he's elevated him to the position of Duke of Monmouth. Mm-hmm. That is huge. He's 14. He's only 14 years old. So he's incredibly young to be given such a title. And he is illegitimate. Yeah, He is the king's and the king loves him. Now, James, the Duke of Monmouth, was born while Charles was in exile to a woman called Lucy Walter. Mm-hmm. And Lucy came from she came from a, a middling sort of family. She wasn't she wasn't aristocracy by any sense of the word, but she wasn't a you know, she wasn't a commoner. Um, and they met in exile. They had a a romance, and James was born. And then politics starts to get in the way. Um, Lucy becomes a bit of a, a liability because there's a problem. There's sort of allegations that she is um, that she's sort of drunk and misbehaving and there's there's issues their relationship ends and she shacks up with some other guy who again this is not it's not looking good it's not particularly good PR situation so Charles has James taken away from his mother and by by all accounts and anybody with sort of even a degree of empathy at all this is horrific um she's trapped down she's basically hunted across europe she's found in paris her son is taken away from her and a few years later she dies on the streets of paris i mean i'm, I'm making it sound like a scene out of les Mis, um but she she dies alone and abandoned now that is an awful story but i tell you what charles never does that again and every single mistress that he has every single one of them is looked after even when he's done with Barbara Villiers and she's not an easy woman she's a she's a feisty um difficult woman she's a she's a nasty woman you know I love that term she's nasty um she's not yet. Yeah. so even when he's done with her she's still around she's still in in court she has to go off to France for a while just to kind of be out of the way um because she's a catholic he has way too many catholics around that's a whole other thing um but she's with him the night that he dies having dinner along with another one of his mistresses and And he looks after louise Louise? yes louise louise de carwell or lady carwell as the english called her because it was much easier um he looks looked after them all so louise of course um she was in the palace, she had rooms, she was very much his sort of chief mistress at mm-hmm. that time. Um even Nell Gwynn, she has a very comfortable life for a girl from we don't even know where Nell Gwynn came from. Nell didn't even know where Nell came from. Um, but she had a lovely home. He titled, he gave titles to both of her children. Um, sadly, one of them died quite young, but um he He looked after them all. They were all given titles. They were all given advantageous marriages into the aristocracy. Mm -hmm. And through that line, this is what I love. So here's some genetics for you. Through the line of Barbara Villiers and Charles II and their second son, William, our Prince of Wales, will be the first descendant of Charles II to sit on the throne since Charles. Yep. Through oh, the Spencers. Yeah. The Spencer's a uh, a lot of the sort of very, very well um posh, the well posh families um in this country, a lot of them have some claim of descent to a line of Charles II because he did populate. Um he really did populate, but not with his wife. Yeah, she not couldn't have any. Wife.
0: But that was the that's the other she thing could... about him that like, I thought, you know, it deserves recognition although you could argue it both ways that when after a while when Catherine still hadn't been able to produce an heir um yeah. his advisors were like you've got to get rid of her you've got to marry someone else you've got to marry someone who can give you an heir and he said yeah. no now yeah did he say no because he didn't want to seem bad to the public that he divorced his wife and does what basically what Henry Eighth did in yeah you know or does he genuinely care for her, just not in a, a romantic way,
1: not or in an exclusive way?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. Or oh, is there another reason why he wouldn't divorce her?
1: Do you know what I would? I would love to. Again, I would love to ask him. Um, we can. We can only speculate. Of course, he should have divorced Catherine. He should have divorced her very quickly um, when there was no sign of a pregnancy so it takes a it takes a very long time for there even to be any sign of pregnancy and then yes um, miscarriages no stillbirths there was no there, oh, were no, there was, right there were no there were no babies that could be you know could be right. definitively that 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 was a baby that was lost it was all very you know very early stage losses so she may not even have ever been pregnant if she was it's it's awful and again we don't have a lot of mm. we don't have a lot of um actual information about this we know that she gets very ill with a fever at one point um very early in their in their marriage i think 1660 i want to say 1663 1664 but don't don't hold me to that um she gets very ill and is you know uh, on her deathbed Charles is with her every single day by her bedside Mm. Um, and she's, she's delirious and she's, she's ranting about, you know, the children that she has and that they, there aren't any children.
0: And and doesn't he, doesn't he tell her that yes, they have had children or something to calm her down? mm,
1: That's, that's what, what, what we have that he, Mm. he was sort of very comforting to her in that way, but he spent the evenings having dinner with Barbara. So, you know, again you can say that that's a traumatic time to have to be watching um to be watching a woman in such a state and to have someone that you can go to in the evening who is going to look after you and take your troubles off your shoulders is is a good thing um but of course you can also look at it and go well you know he was sat by his wife's bedside in the day and off bonking his mistress what a cad, at night. What a cad and all that so, kind of- Every, that's what I love about Charles. I, mean, I, I read it the first way. I I think that he was actually an incredibly, I think he was a caring soul. And again, I've, I feel so bad because if my husband was um, shagging left, right and centre, I wouldn't be saying, well, you know, he's lovely to me. I would not be having that at all. And, and you know, in a modern a modern sort of um, situation with um, with Princess Diana, she was not prepared to put up and shut up while the heir to the throne had affairs. Yeah, yeah. Four hundred years earlier, she would have put up and shut up, and that because that was what was expected. Um, but yeah, Catherine, he he should he should divorce her. Why didn't he divorce her? Right, okay, maybe maybe he cared for her, maybe he he loved her in his way. Mm. He certainly didn't want to send her back to Portugal because her brother who was um, king at the time, was known to be a very cruel man um, and it wouldn't have been nice if Catherine had been sent back in any kind of disgrace. It would not have been good for her. Um, But also he was being told to divorce his wife by Parliament Mm. and I don't think he took very kindly (laughs) to being told who he should or shouldn't be married with who he should or shouldn't have in his bed that was his kingdom that was his his domain you don't get to tell me who i sleep with Mm. and i there's a part of me that thinks that it may have been a certain amount of being stubborn because politic politically he should have divorced her especially around the time of the popish Plot later on in his reign where Catholics are under such suspicion, and it's a horrible time. It's like a it's like a witch hunt of Catholics, um, and he should have he should have divorced her to because if you look at the primary function of the monarchy, of a monarch, it is to survive and to ensure its survival. So he should have when yeah. when it was very clear that he was not the problem, he should have married someone else who could have given him a legitimate heir who could have taken the throne from him and he should have done it early but then nobody knows when they're going to die you know yeah. but he you should have done it and he should have done it quick
0: I wonder if part of it though is because it was almost his way the fact that he had to uh, you know forgive parliament for a lot of the things they did beforehand mm-hmm. to his and not yeah. like, he, he did he did hunt down the people who survived and who were still in England, who, who signed, for want of a better term, his father's death warrant, he did hunt them down, yeah. um, and a lot of them were executed as for, for treason, um. Yeah. So he wasn't quite as happy-go-lucky as people think. He was. Oh no. He was annoyed about that, and he was going to get. But I wonder if. You know, because of some of the traditional monarchy rules have been taken away from him. And I actually think the ones they took away were good. I think, you know, I always find it hilarious that medieval kings had to raise an army and pay for it themselves. So, how are they going to pay for it? Oh, let's just whack some tax on the peasants. You know, who needs food? Who they don't need to eat. Um, I think the fact that it was controlled more from a central sort of logical perspective was a, a, a good thing. I mean, you could go back as far as Simon de Montfort, because he was trying to change the way things were ruled and monarchy power and everything. sort of 500 yeah. years before that, 400 years before that. But um, where was I going with this? But I don't think I, I just wonder if some of it was his way of sticking his fingers up to Parliament, metaphorically speaking. And yeah. um, I do have some control. I do have some yeah. power, I'm still bloody king. And yeah, and I, think I, I like to think he did care. I think I think he loved women. I think he loved women. And we all know men like that who they don't necessarily jump into bed with every woman they meet, but they love being around women. They they yeah. they and and because the other thing is a lot of the women he was around, they weren't shy and retiring little wallflowers. I mean You know, mostly if you ask mistresses, Nell Gwyn is the one that most people mention, which I was quite Mm. interested when I started researching this, like the fact that Barbara had five kids, yet nobody ever mentions her. But the one that really blew my mind was Hortense Mancini. I mean, Ah, this woman, if you've never heard of her, go and just even just look at Wikipedia, just Google this. She, I mean, apparently back in... I think it was 1659. He originally proposed to her when he was still in exile. And her uncle, yeah. who was a cardinal, said, No, he's got no prospects. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a bad It's, it's fantastic. God, cardinal Mancini. And they married her off to this, this guy who, Armand Charles, who was 14 years yeah. older than her and m- mad as a box of frogs. This man.
1: He's she, insane. Has
0: first, she he was an asshole. She has her first child, I think, at sixteen, I worked it out, sixteen or seventeen. Oh, yeah. Um he I mean, I don't know if you know any more of these things about him. It's no wonder. I mean, the fact that she actually did a runner from him and was sheltered by other people. This is how much of an asshole this guy was. He thought yeah. he didn't like people milking cows because he thought the others were sexual. Yeah, he um would knock out his maids' front teeth to make them less attractive, yeah. uh, and people think what blooming Countess Bathory did to her maids was bad. He he'd knock <laughs> out the front teeth. He would take very expensive works of art and either scratch off the bits he thought were rude or paint over them. I mean, yeah, the guy is cuckoo.
1: He's he's insane. And when we talk about him and and tense as a as a couple she is she's a star at the french court her uncle cardinal Mazarin is basically the most he's, he's like the top dog at french court other than the king um and this is this is louis the 14th um she's a star everyone loves her she's part of a family of sisters there are i think there's four or five of them they, they are the kardashians let's just Put that out there. You know what I thought? The the Gabor's.
0: They reminded me of the Gabor sisters.
1: Yeah. Okay, I was being a little bit less highbrow with that, but yeah, they are. They are definitely they are the sisters. They are the stars of the court. And when he marries Hortense, he's suddenly overcome by paranoia that, of course, she's going to be shagging around, and so he takes her out of the court where she's this this star and takes her to his estate where she's isolated completely surrounded by maids with no teeth unmilked cows um he is so sexually repressed and she's a child she's basically a child oh yeah she's a she's a i mean you know it's it's awful whenever you you look back at this time and you look at the ages of people and you also look at when you start looking into the pregnancies of of married women who are essentially pregnant the whole time it's Unbelievable. But yeah, she's she's isolated. She she gives him his air. Um, she's sent off at one point for bad behavior. He sends her to a convent, and it just so happens that she's put in a convent with another naughty girl who's been sent away by her family for similar reasons, a girl called Sidoni, and they become like the scourge of the nuns. Like they (laughs) flood this one novice's bedroom and they put ink in the font. They are they're lovely. They're lovely little shits. I love these two. They're, they're teenage girls running around, um, causing the nuns so much trouble that eventually the nuns say to their families, will you please take these girls back? Um, so that's that's what it is. she writes several times to um to King Louis and says, I can't stay here. I can't, he's insane, um, he's threatening me. He takes away all of her clothes so that she won't run away. Um it's it's that level of, of abuse. And Louis writing back and saying, Look, French law, your husband is king. I'm sorry, I can't intervene, even though I know he's insane, I can't do anything. So in the end, her brother comes for her with uh with a horse and she dresses in men's clothing because she nicks him off her husband, she puts his clothes on, and she rides away back to um back to Versailles. Mm. Um, sorry, it probably wasn't Versailles site at that point. It was probably the Louvre. Mm. So she goes back to back to the French, Paris, and uh, yeah, yeah. She shack's up with a with a, um, a duke, uh, mm. and she's there for a while, and then she's effectively enticed over to England to come see Charles. Mm. Yeah, she becomes. I mean, his she. Lover. she... But the... Sorry, go on. No, no, I was going to say, she she brings over a lot of art, and culture. Her salons are legendary um, in in England. Uh, she gathers the greatest minds, you know, poets, artists, scientists all together and they're all milling about. And her, her apartment's like the most fashionable. But um, her husband does get his own back in the end when she dies. Um, and he comes to collect her body. And essentially kind of parades it on this slow parade back to Paris. And it's yeah, it's all creepy. It's quite sad cool. that he
0: survived till he was in his eighties. It would have been nice to see him go through a painful death at about 45, to be quite honest. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, she, 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 I, she's the kind of person I'll start reading up more on because I just, I just, I found her fascinating. It doesn't surprise me that her husband did that to her. It, it, i say batchet is about the only word i can think of to describe him (laughs) um but she was an intelligent woman like you say she had the salons that and salons in those days weren't what we'd think of a salon now as a beauty salon they were sort of conversation groups weren't they and opportunities for people to get together and talk about subjects the sort of thing i'd be in seventh heaven i think we need to bring those back
1: i think i think we should bring back salons definitely
0: maybe we could do a joint haunting (laughs) histories history history hack type
1: Mm. I think that's a great idea. I think History Hack would be well up for a salon. I think I think we should
0: we should have a word with Alex about this. Have it as a joint venture. But obviously, she had that interest in science, which was actually something that Charles had a huge interest in. So, what I said about him loving women, he yeah, he obviously loved the carnal side, but he obviously enjoyed the pillow talk, like the intelligent
1: pillow talk. Yeah. Well, let's let's be honest. I mean, he's the king. He can he can sleep with anybody he wants. That's that's fine. He has got he's got carte blanche. He's got a crown. He's the dude. Um, But he did choose to surround himself with intelligent women. And like I say, difficult women like Barbara. Louise was incredibly difficult. She was she was wonderful. And Louise was spying for the French king and Charles knew it. And he, I don't think he was ever particularly worried. It wasn't he was a fairly open book to Louie anyway. Yeah. Um, but she was she was difficult. Nell was Nell was wonderful. I mean, it's one of the reasons why we love Nell so much and why she is um she's still very much his most remembered mistress, mm. is the way that she was quick-witted and she was funny. Um, you know, and she was pelted with um. With fruit and excrement and stuff, and shouted at her as she as her carriage was coming in, um, she rolled down the window and said, "You know, please, people, peace. I am the Protestant whore, because they'd been meaning to throw things at Louise, um, <laughs> and she she called Charles her Charles the Third because she'd had two lovers called Charles before him. I like um, it. She she was a funny funny woman. Apparently, she got a title for her son by um, by calling him." To see his father when Charles came out and saying, Come here, come here, you little bastard. Come here, come here, bastard. And Charles is is absolutely horrified don't speak to my son like that. She said, Well, you know, what else am I to call him? And um, so he he gives him a gives him an earldom. Um it's so she was she was funny, but his mother was difficult. His, you know, Henrietta Maria was not a woman who just sat and let life happen to her. She was incredibly forceful, Um, she was very domineering, she tried, especially when they were all in exile, she tried to rule her son, Mm. and Charles very quickly did not let that happen. Um, He was very forceful with her, and one of the things that he was forceful with his mother about was um, her Catholicism, Yeah, because it was very much a deal. When, When she was married to Charles I, when she came over to marry him, it was in there arrangement that she would be allowed to practice Catholicism privately quietly with all the all the dignity and you know all the she had a beautiful chapel made you it wasn't sort of you know she had to do it quietly in the corner where no one could see she had a proper the, the whole full nine yards but it was done behind closed doors and and didn't affect her marriage didn't affect anything along those lines and she wasn't allowed to bring up her children Catholic because these were heirs to the throne and they couldn't be Catholic when they were all in exile she she tried to force her son Henry her youngest son Henry um Duke of Gloucester she tried to force him to convert to Catholicism and some of the letters that um that we have that she wrote to him or that, that have been seen um are incredibly manipulative awful i mean really trying to force this young teenage boy to um to recant his um, protestantism and to um convert to catholicism and charles has to step in uh and remove his brother because he knows that any any sniff of catholicism in their family will be a problem to them getting home um james of course is a whole other kettle of fish middle, was, child.
0: Yeah. <laughs> middle child
1: middle, middle child syndrome. Middle, and spare syndrome um i yeah. mean you look at the relationship between between charles and james is
0: isn't it amazing how history repeats itself so much
1: oh more more than <laughs> so you shall you. say
0: no more no, than no, you names. Know. no names yeah, you no know. no the other thing about but, him, um, the second yeah. he does seem to be of an action hero because one of the yeah. first the first things I learned, I mean, obviously he went through, you know, he had the Great Plague, which was yeah. pretty awful. And then 12 months later, you got the Great Fire of London, which he's got to <laughs> deal with. And he was actually in the bucket chain trying to put help put out the fire. I mean, it makes me think actually the sort of thing that I could see Prince William doing. Yeah, You know, if, if there was a yeah, fire yeah. at Buckingham Palace... I can see Prince William actually and Kate, to be quite honest, standing there in the line with the buckets with everyone else.
1: Well, we saw. I mean, anybody who, anyone who studies this time and who who knows this episode of Charles's life, he is. Yeah, he's down there with James, both of them, periwigs off. You know, they they wore their hair shaved underneath their periwigs, so they. There would have been these two sort of very ordinary-looking guys in beautiful outfits, mm. um, helping helping with the um, with the effort to save London, and um, I think we saw the the echo of that when Prince William went down to comfort the victims of the Grenfell Tower fire, yeah. because at that point no politician had dared showed their face, yeah. and frankly, I don't think they. Yeah, they should have gone down there and they should have taken mm. the um, the abuse from those people because they deserve to know mm. what had gone wrong. Mm. Uh, but William was down there, yeah. and they were helping in any way they could. But really, they were just comforting, and that to be seen, I think, is important yeah. um, to people yeah, to know yeah. that they're seen. Yeah,
0: I can see. And I can see the yeah, seeing William down there.
1: Man. Yeah, because Charles was down there. Um, James was very much leading leading the effort to save the city. Um, someone needed to be there to make the executive decisions, and a lot of it involved. They needed to pull down people's houses, mm. and of course, people say, "Well, there's nothing wrong with my house. My house isn't on fire." And you're having to explain to people, "No, I'm sorry, your house has to come down because we've got to stop the fire." And that's a hard That's a hard thing um, yeah. for anyone to hear. So, James is leading the effort. Charles is down there with bread and with coins. And he's giving people coins as a promise that he will rebuild their homes. Yeah. Which After the fire, of course, he did. After the fire, he has some fantastic um, plans for the city. Um, Christopher Wren draws up a load of plans and they, they think about modernising. <clears throat> but in the end, they can't modernise in the way that they would want to, because, of course, people have their property, and their land, that you have to kind of put back where it was. So in the same way as London wasn't modernized after the blitz parts of it very much are still you know it's built along the same way as it was um it's kind of gone that same way at that time I
0: just think he's amazing in in that he he did try and um, well but his he did he had I mean this weakness could have been the fact that he he enjoyed women's company a bit more than just for conversation but then again, he did do right in my view by those women um yeah we don't know that yeah. Catherine didn't turn around to him and say look I know I can't give you an heir. we're not sexually compatible you're highly sexed therefore <laughs> you know I I, I, I and, and as you say it was so expected of a monarch to to jump into other beds that it, it, it you know you you married one you would have probably been quite naive to think they would have been completely and utterly fa- i don't know there's been a male monarch completely and utterly faithful uh, you know to their wife never it's just not expected but he died young he was only 55 or 54 55 when he died and there were rumors that it was unsurprisingly syphilis and all that kind of thing yet there was a i know you didn't watch it that there was a fascinating program that a friend of yours was on as a consultant wasn't there Re- rebecca
1: yeah, Rebecca Redil was on um, yeah. a programme about the royal autopsy. I just couldn't watch it because I can't watch medical things, Yeah, I, I, I love I know that stuff. this. <laughs> I should
0: I should have been a doctor, I reckon, because I, I love that kind of thing. But they did a, a theoretical, Alice Roberts, Professor Alice Roberts was on there, and they did a theoretical post-mortem monument. And although a lot of the information was, I, I kind of knew it anyway, especially researching for this, they decided that it was kidney disease that killed him
1: interesting
0: yeah um it's but my 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 personal theory is that he developed kidney disease because of the chemicals he was messing around in in his laboratory um that's my personal viewpoint and I mean I won't talk about some of the things that doc the the doctors did to try and fix him but pigeon poo was involved
1: yeah.
0: um as one of the things and yeah uh, it, it's a, it's a very interesting program if you're not squeamish and you can cope with seeing organs and everything else it's a very very interesting episode but so he was it's, a young it's guy funny. Like, I can
1: I can read about it I just can't I can't watch you know, I'm, it what I'm like give me
0: more um in fact when my husband was going to have an operation on his ear um I asked if I could watch the operation and the surgeon was like yeah 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 but then when he got called away the consultant got called away and it was his registrar and his registrar said no you'll pass out and my husband was like she really won't she really won't pass out." I wasn't allowed to watch it I was very disappointed um anyway but the interesting thing is on his deathbed he's said to have converted back to catholicism which i find yeah. really really
1: interesting yeah now this it's it's, it's a, again it's another did he or didn't he Ooh. moment um of charles's life and we will we will never know because there are there is a suggestion of course that with his brother with his heir being catholic that perhaps it might make that transition a little bit less scary if people thought well the king had been catholic yeah. All these years, and it, it was fine. The whole world didn't end. So having a Catholic king, not so bad. But he may well have done it. So the um the reports that we have are from a, a gentleman called Thomas Bruce, who was the second Earl of Aylesbury, who was his groom of the stall. he was um, uh, no, he was a gentleman of the bedchamber. So he was he was with Charles a lot of the time, um and he was a fairly young man, and he said that. Um, On his deathbed, Charles had called for uh, Father Huddlestone to be brought to him. And Father Huddlestone is important because he actually was involved in hiding the king when he was on the run after the Battle of Worcester. This is years before when he's 21 and he's, you know, running away from Cromwell's forces. Um, Father Huddlestone. Is
0: that in the period when he He hid in in the oak tree? Yeah, he hid in the oak tree
1: which is why i have an oak tree tattoo um but that as soon as father huddlestone's brought in to the king on his deathbed um thomas bruce writes as soon as the king saw the father come in he cried out you that saved my body is now come to save my soul this is literally true on a christian that's what he wrote that's that's what thomas bruce wrote. so the fact that it was it wasn't just some random priest it wasn't like it fetch me a priest. I need to unburden myself The fact that it was someone who he kept around and someone that he had a regard for and someone that he trusted and loved um makes me think that you know that's that's a bit more Charles. That makes me think it did happen. But who knows? I, would, I would have loved would... to have been a, a fly on the wall with some people though when they heard. Can that, I ask Penny? The... This is what I want to know. Can I ask Charles? Where can I go and talk to him? Where where can I where can I summon him? Well, I'm going to come to that. I'm going to come to that, but wouldn't you have loved <laughs>
0: with the fact that there was a conspiracy theory that it was the Catholics that had caused the Great Fire of London, having been bribed <laughs> to do it by the Pope, wouldn't you have loved to have been <laughs> a fly on the wall with some of the very strict Protestants when they heard that their dearly departed king had converted to, if you like, their arch enemy on his deathbed um, and got his last sort of fingers up? Where would you talk to Well, funnily enough, there's not many ghost <laughs> stories of Charles at all.
1: Oh, really? One of the
0: interesting ones I found—I didn't mention this to you beforehand—was the um, Andrea McLean, the presenter, the Scottish presenter used to do Loose Women. Okay. He reckons she saw him in her flat in London, but that's the all the information Ooh. I didn't find. I only found this out like yesterday, so I haven't had time to contact time <laughs> to contact Andrea to get the gist of the story. But she reckons she was sitting there having done yoga in her front room, and she said yeah. Charles II appeared. In her room, and when she she sort of turned and turned back, he'd gone. Which, huh. when you think of what she looks like, the dark hair, Scottish,
1: okay,
0: I wonder oh, if she's you think is. it might be. A... Yeah,
1: I'm I mean, actually, actually going to
0: follow up on this. I'm going to try and contact her about it. But, um, but that
1: so, but the main thing problem... I'd like to ask her though is, would she would she know Charles II from another gentleman? wearing a
0: periwig, like you see that's a whole different show because this is one of the conversations Mm -hmm. I've had with people when they've said they've seen Henry VIII or Queen Elizabeth or whatever and it's like how do you know it was them how do you not because people used to mimic the way they would dress because it was like you know it was like influencers now the monarch was the influence of the fashions of the monarch it could have just been someone Mm -hmm. who mimicked their dress rather than them themselves you don't know that for sure but yeah. whether in the bigger interview she does actually and that they didn't put in the, the article because it's not quite so dramatic that it looked like a yeah. cavalier type person, which she said it was Charles II. But it does make me wonder, mm. wonder if she was distantly related to him. But the main That's place exciting. the main place that he is meant to be seen is Ham House in okay. Richmond Way. He, um, Love. he never owned it or anything but the family that did were royalists who managed to keep their heads per se during the civil war <laughs> um and the 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 lady who owned it was a
1: big supporter and she was a member of the sealed knot society yeah so this is this is the the wife of the um the Duke of Lauderdale well he's, he's later after the restoration he becomes the Duke of Lauderdale um and he's part of a very influential group around the king which were known as they were a carball known as the Kabul because their initials spelt out Kabul. so it's clifford arlington buckingham ashley and lauderdale wow so he was incredibly close to the king so the king would have would have visited ham house the one who was I charles mean,
0: the first whipping boy
1: oh i don't know i like that though <laughs>
0: I'm sure They're i read that there someone who was who was there, lived in that house, was was incredibly close to Charles I and as kids was his whipping boy.
1: Oh, I'm gonna look that up. That sounds fabulous. He was a very big, very brash man. He yeah. um, he was the he was um tasked with looking after Scotland for the king, so he spent a lot of time up there and he didn't mm. he didn't take rebels kindly. He was a very um yeah, he was a I think he had a rival at one point up there, and he dispatched him very quickly. He was okay. a he was a tough guy, Lauderdale. Well, Charles so... is meant to be seen walking in the gardens.
0: There, okay. People have in the main hall have smelt his tobacco smoke.
1: <laughs> okay, probably <How laughs> know it's his.
0: I don't know because I've never actually experienced it. But yeah, that's the one kind of ghost story that I found about yeah. where we could communicate with him. Although that's very. There must be other places. I know that he was meant to have spent time at the ye old Black Cross in Bromsgrove when he was trying to escape. Um, and he had his horse reshod there when he was disguising himself as somebody else. So that might be yeah. one that warrants further investigation because that still exists. But it, yeah, very huge. few stories of Charles. But then again, there's even less of his father, funnily enough. Yeah. And you'd think Charles the well, First. You'd think that, would have wanted yeah, to walking around out. with his head. Hmm. Perfect ghosts sort of sighting. Exactly territory, isn't it? Exactly. So we we need to find somewhere that's not that well known that we can get in and we can see
1: if Charles is actually around. If we can call him, I tell you where I would where I would go if I if I wanted somewhere that is fairly unchanged and that's Bell House, Um the site of Royal Oak. Okay. So he spent. He spent time hiding there after the Battle of Worcester in September 1651 um, with a, a poor tenant farmer's family, the Penderels, and um, he would have been 21 when he was there and he did a lot of kind of hiding, and a lot of thinking there. Um, and I think he learned a lot about ordinary people there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they asked him one night what he'd like for his supper and he said that he would like some mutton, but he didn't realize that those families weren't families who ate meat every day, they couldn't afford it so they actually had to go out and steal the sheep Oh wow! um, to feed it because if all of a sudden they were bringing a sheep home, people would say, hang on something's going on there Mm. this is not the kind of family that would have mutton um, on a normal day and he didn't, that sort of taught him, sort of seeing that happen, realising that that was happening taught him very much Gave him his common touch. I mean, we laugh about him having a common touch because yeah. you know he did like touching people. Um, but he he understood. I think he understood people, um, and he had so, some degree of empathy mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. perhaps his father and his brother didn't have. I'd love to know. I would love to be able to, yeah, to find him. But mm-hmm. I think that the fact that they were all bewigged. In the way that they were and they dressed similar. I think it would take a very keen eye to know that that was him and not, say, another fine gentleman of the time in a black periwig.
0: It may depend if he was trying to get you into bed or not. That might be a idea, but it's.
1: <laughs> <you choose. laughs> Mate, I'm probably related in some way. I mean, look at this nose. This is a pure nose, <laughs> if ever there was one. Well,
0: on that note, that really sensible, historically <laughs> educational. Intellectual note, what have you got going on at the moment? What have I got going on at the moment? You see, I know well, the answer all... to this, which is why I'm laughing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all go at the moment. So I split my time between um writing about Charles in the 17th century and presenting on History Hack and hosting a theatre and a traveling food festival, which is my summer job. Um, so I'm about to hit the road with Foodies Festival. And we've got 13 dates this year, everywhere from Brighton up to Edinburgh. Um, I'm going all over the country. So if you check out foodiesfestival.com, you can get tickets and come say hi to me. I'm in the Cake and Desserts Theatre every day, all day, every day. So you can come and say hello and talk to me about history or cake. I'll feed you um, and... Yeah, it's really yeah, you do get fun, freebies. Fun she, gives, she gives away her yeah.
0: when she's made them, and they're very good. Yeah, and if reckon... you
1: come to Chelmsford, you might get to meet Penny as well. Yeah,
0: yes, I'm planning <laughs> on going to the Chelmsford one, but they are all over the UK, um, and it's not yeah. just one day. I think it's three days each place.
1: Yeah, three day, three-day weekends, yeah. So, yeah, all the all the details are on um, foodiesfestival.com. And
0: it's nothing and... but food, and the smell. Oh, there's music as well. I mean, who's some of the artists it? you've got? You've got five? Sophie Ellis-Bexter? Oh,
1: I know you're excited about five. I am excited I'm excited because in, in Brighton, we've got Martin Kemp coming <gasps> to do his 80s disco. Whoa. Yeah. You no, see, I have to
0: know. If I could get down to Brighton and um, be there. Yeah,
1: we've got, I can't, I think it's Cardiff. We've got Craig Charles coming. Um, we have scouting for girls we've got yeah we, we, we get a lot of uh, lovely 90s nostalgia like you say like five which mm. is great fun um, and then there's local apps playing all day unsigned bands yeah. um, so come along and support them. that's really important yeah um, yeah it's it's good fun you can also go to if you go to restorationcake.com you can get all the details about stuff that i'm up to everywhere across all of these mad things <laughs>
0: And go and follow her on social media, and you get to see the outfits I've been telling you about. Because honestly, they're <laughs> yeah. wizzy. Well,
1: There's no point dressing up if you can't if you can't get a nice photo of it and share oh, it.
0: <laughs> I'd say her wardrobe. I, part of the fact they wouldn't fit me, but um, I, I it's just oh oh and and, and the stories <laughs> behind a lot of the outfits, where they came from, and if someone's given her something, and oh oh she's 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 the lady. She's the one to follow. Bless
1: you. And Hi, what
0: I haven't mentioned, we were talking music very much earlier. She plays the bass as well. Yeah, I we're starting it, a band, aren't we? I uh, yeah, because I've got my drum kit next to me. So you know, okay. I think we do need to we need to find. Well, I think we should be the girl historian band.
1: I, I think it's doable. A shout out to any other any other historical ladies who want to come and join our band. Really? Yeah, Penny. Seriously, there's only one thing cooler than a girl who plays bass, and that's a girl who plays drums. <laughs> so
0: cool well originally a guitarist then a vocalist and now i've gone on to drums so who who knows i'm just i just want to be a one man one woman band i think is the um perfect but yeah we've got the rhythm section covered we just need to find ourselves a guitarist or two and a vocalist and we're there perfect
1: they're, they're out there they've got to be they've
0: got to be well thank you so much for your time my darling i i I, I well, thank I, you for having me i i'm just i, I could listen to you all day talking about this stuff because it's all it's all learning for me and it's fascinating absolutely fascinating so but yeah so do do check out restoration cake check out charlie's profile i will tag stuff obviously on the haunted histories page do go to the foodies festival if you're in the uk it's honestly the smell alone is worth it when you walk on there and there's there's vegan there's there's stuff for vegans there's stuff for vegetarians there's stuff for pescatarians there's stuff for meat eaters there's stuff if you just want to eat cake there's cakes if you want to yeah. learn how to cook some fancy dish there's you know there's there's exhibitions that teach you how to cook fancy stuff
1: um there's music you if you like there's, a drink there's, there's, there's even there's even drink if drink. you just want to drink in the sunshine we've yep. got you, that too
0: do you know what one of my favorite stalls was last time what's what that? Teaches? the the, the, the are we talking cheeses that blow your brains off cheeses lots
1: of cheeses I oh, love
0: them. In fact, I think I bought—I <laughs> think I bought one that was called Lancaster because there were there was a load of air oh, boo. <laughs> What's wrong with a good Yorkshire cheese? <laughs> I eat that too, um, but there was one that was called—it called, called Lancaster—and I tried it, and it, it was kind of whoa. There was definitely four Merlin engines involved in that one. Anyway. Uh, okay,
1: I'm, isn't it funny that turn? My head went straight away to you went a to Yorker, Lancashire, I, didn't you? Oh, Lancaster. I forget about, of course, the awesome plane. Yes. Okay. That's fair.
0: I wondered why you think <laughs> about Yorkshire. And I was thinking, hang on, I'm a Yorkshire person. Of course I love Yorkshire. I went to the Wensleydale Museum not so long ago, but I just realised where you thought Lancashire as opposed... No, you Lancaster went where my house was in I think there was a Spitfire cheese as well, but the Lancaster cheese was nicer. That was a good one. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> thank you ever so much, everyone, for listening to Haunted Histories. And I will be back very, very soon. Have a good evening, sleep tight, and don't worry too much about things that go bump in the night.